Hello and welcome in. I'm the promo guy coming at you from New York City. Today is Thursday, April 26, but you will be listening to this Friday at the earliest. Welcome to the third episode of the Promo Guy podcast, now brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I'm again joined by my friend Nick from Blue, Mu- Blue Duck Media. Nick, how we doing? I'm good, I'm good. Um, but I want to hear a little bit more about Underdog. Let's give our new sponsors a little more love. Uh, tell me a bit more about them. Where can you play them? Uh, what type of games do they offer? The whole deal. Yeah, I mean, Underdog basically does everything at this point. But kind of the highlights are you can draft a fantasy team against your friends for the games tonight, tomorrow, to win cash prizes. Uh, you can do a pick game where you predict player stat projections. So you can do over or more or less on whether they'll beat their projections for a chance to win big. And we have a promo code for you. PGP. If you use that promo code for the Promo Guy podcast, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. I love that. And can I play this in California? Yes, you can. Uh, it's, it's nice to be able to have something where you can kind of take your own views on what's going to happen in the games and, you know, get cash prizes for it in California where you're not able to play, you know, DraftKings fan to any of the sports betting apps. I am very excited to try this out. I'm very excited to right away double my money. That seems like a pretty good uh, EV play to me. And um, I, I'm, hap- I'm excited to check in next week and let everyone know how my underdog journey is going. So bear with me there. Yeah, you can tell everybody how much money you lost this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, with the Knicks winning, I think I had a bit of a green week. But uh, <laughs> That's fair. let's hear about how you did this week. Um, hit me with the state of the stack. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so it was a good week. I mean, mostly yesterday, to be honest. Uh, we'd, ha- we'd had kind of an up and down week with uh, free bets on DraftKings kind of carrying us. But yesterday was just a tremendous day. We hit all three FanDuel boosts for... I believe $350 of profit or seven units, however you look at it. And then we hit the MLB on DraftKings, no sweat. It was a plus 300 stolen base play. And we hit the DraftKings SGPX boost. It was honestly just one of the better days that kind of we'll have. So that was a lot of fun and a big driver to our profitable week on Twitter. In the Discord, officials are doing very well, uh, and overall the promos are doing well. Although we kind of had a tough beat last night, um, getting you know losing one of our parlays by the hook. Dinger Tuesday didn't have a good week. It was kind of probably the first like rough one for the unlimited group. Uh, they lost one hundred and fifty dollars, one hundred fifty-two dollars, and picked up one hundred twenty dollars in free bets. The limited group did a lot better since the guy that hit the home run for us uh, was in the limited group, only losing 20-something dollars and picking up $50 of free bets, so that was still a decent week. Luckily, last night, we hit one of the free bets from the previous week, so overall, uh, we've kind of already made a big chunk of that back, and between the rest of the free bets that are outstanding that should settle in the next few days, and then the free bets we have coming, we will... uh, you know, if things go as they should, we, we will end up doing okay over, you know, we'll end up being profitable over the last two weeks pretty comfortably. And the limited group, I mean, they're like I said, they're doing well because they were just down uh, the 20-something dollars, picked up 50 free bets, and then also had the same uh, free bet win yesterday. Uh, so hopefully the free bets go well and that we can do a little bit better with dingers. The limited group is now up small on the year on the home runs by themselves, you know, without accounting for the free bet wins. And the limited the unlimited group has moved to slightly down on the year on the home run bets. My only comment on that, it's probably similar to how it'll look the rest of the year, even though we've been unlimited and been profitable on the dinger plays themselves the last few years. 
I think we're probably going to be closer to flat, slightly down the rest of the year, just because Fandle's made their odds worse. And then sort of the obvious, like, sometimes you force plays uh, just for the promo, where I believe the limited group, you know, there's still enough good lines out there where the top four to five plays will be, should be profitable or, you know, right around zero. But everything's pretty much going according to plan there. Uh, but it was a little disappointing not to do a little bit better for the unlimited group in Dinger Tuesday. And hopefully the free bets continue to sort of bail us out like they did yesterday. Overall, uh, I'm really happy with the promotions that have been going on. So I'll start with FanDuel. I mean, three, eight plus percent EV plays, like that's great. They're chugging along like they have for years. DraftKings, honestly, I'm kind of leaning towards having them number one in the next EV rankings, the next action article. That's mostly because they are just loading us with these no sweat bets that are, are really high EV. I know they're $10 maxes for the most part. And there was a gift as well. Um, but just yesterday, there was $10 NBA no sweat, 33% SGPX. There was an MLB no sweat. I mean, yeah, I've said this before, but yeah, these are $10 maxes. But at, let's say, 40% EV, that's the same as a $50 max 8% EV play. So it really adds up. They're doing multiple of these a day, and they've, they've really stepped it up, and I hope that continues. Caesars is kind of the last book I'll touch on. Uh, they've been moving lines really quickly, so it's pretty hard to execute on Twitter, but still, they've been pretty consistent with profit boosts, SGP boosts. That, that, you know, it's, it's nice to see activity from them, mostly because, like I've mentioned before, you know, they really went away at this time last year. So I hope, I hope this continues from DraftKings and Caesars. FanDuel's been consistent for years now, but hopefully that continues as well. But I, I'm honestly surprised at how much there has been in, in the way of promos the last few weeks. So hopefully that's continuing. All right. Love to hear that. And let's take that right into our gambling landscape update. Will Levis's odds, which we discussed last week when I thought his name was well, Will Levis. Oh, it might uh, be Will Levis, though. Is, is, it, is it Levis or Levis? I think it's Levis. I, I've seen enough like sports talk shows covering this that I now can confidently say it's Will Levis. Uh, but his odds to go first overall plummeted from plus 4,000 to plus 400 because a Reddit post claimed he was telling his friends and family that he was going to go first. Is this? Do you want to take a bit of a victory lap? Is this not exactly what you were talking about, how odds can get swung and how there is so much inherent risk for books taking something that's so subjective and known yeah I, I guess i'll take a little bit of a victory lap but it's you know it's hardly a surprise to i think most people that this kind of thing would happen because it happens every year and I'm, I'm shocked i mean i'm not complaining but i'm shocked that the books keep these lines up at reasonable numbers and that they're willing to take the exposure i mean if will if will Levis ends up being the first pick they'll get killed and you know he probably won't be and they'll, they'll probably be fine but just the violent swings, and I dealt with this a lot as a trader, like when you have something that's that volatile and you have these sort of wild swings and some people potentially knowing that kind of a thing, it's really hard to, to market make around it because who cares if you're getting minus 110 on each side when you know it, something can move from plus 4,000 to, to four to one in, in a matter of minutes or an hour, however long this took. So it says to me one of two things. I want to be too repetitive with last week. Either they're getting enough action, and this is probably the most likely outcome. They're getting enough action of people that have no idea and just like to bet the draft where it overcomes it. Or they are just being silly, thinking that like that 
they can possibly market make around something that's this volatile. So hopefully it continues. I mean, the more the more opportunities people have to to gamble and stuff is something that people enjoy. And you know, I, I applaud when a book is is willing to or multiple books are willing to sort of put themselves out there and leave themselves vulnerable, uh, which isn't often the case, really. And we'll get into the limit stuff in a bit. But yeah, this is exactly what I was talking about. And I think it's interesting that they continue to do it same way they do, like I said last week, the Super Bowl, you know, what color is the Gatorade going to be or how long is the national anthem going to be? Because these things are are somewhat known. And they're often large waves of betting moving lines pretty aggressively off of people thinking they know or people knowing and it just makes it really tough on the book side so um, I guess they're making enough money to overcome it but I think we should move on to the wheel of sports um I'm sorry did you want to go I was just wondering if any TPG dollars were going to be wagered on Will Levis to go first or if if you're laying off <laughs> I uh it the draft props aren't available in New York, so uh, even if I wanted to, I probably right. wouldn't. Shoot me a text if you want me to get anything in for you. <laughs> but given that I don't know anything, uh, I, I will be laying off. Will Levis, you weren't on the text thread when he told his friends and family? I wasn't. I, I, I wish I was I was on Reddit seeing this, but it probably would have just cost me money, so. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on to our wheel of sports. Um, I actually jumped into the discord this week and one of our users there gave us, uh, the suggestion. We're now going to be reading all of the possible topics for the wheel of sports before we give it a spin. So today, the five options we're either talking Aaron Rodgers is now a jet NFL players getting suspended for gambling, the NBA playoffs, College football win totals are posted on FanDuel, or what is TPG's real name? Here we go. Let's give that a spin. You know what I'm rooting for. I don't remember approving that last one. All right. NFL players are getting suspended for gambling. Um, what are your thoughts? Get, tell us the full story first in case anyone hasn't heard, and then what are your thoughts? Yeah, the full story as I understand it is that uh, Lions players – Several of them were gambling on NBA games, maybe non non NFL related games, on the Lions premises, and they got suspended for getting caught, basically. And the first thing I thought, and obviously this comes off of Calvin Ridley getting suspended for a year last year on betting um, games that he wasn't involved in, but I think it was NFL games. And my my first thought was like, this is just like marijuana uh, has been in the NFL for several years or for a while now, where the country is legalizing it. It's kind of generally being considered not a big deal anymore if people do it. It's widely accepted. It's widely done. But the NFL still has rules, and they still care. And it's the same thing with gambling, right? Like, it's it's legal in most states now. Uh, it's legal where, where these guys have all done it. It's not like they broke any laws that other than just breaking the NFL rules. And it's not harming anyone. It probably shouldn't be a rule. But it is a rule, and these are the punishments for it. So I think this is going to turn into, or maybe has turned into more of a, like, are you smart enough to not do it or not get caught doing it? Because it will jeopardize and hurt your career. It'll hurt your draft stock for guys that there are whispers about doing it before in the draft. Same, th- same way it was with weed. Like, this isn't about the action of doing it. It's about being smart enough not to jeopardize yourself, your team, your financially your family by doing it because you, you don't need to gamble you don't need to smoke this isn't something that has to be done you're, you're breaking NFL rules as stupid as it might be the 
it's really just an intelligence test in a way, and a discipline test. I mean, I fully get where you're coming from. It's a good analogy. It just, it, it feels like these are grown men we're talking about. I, it doesn't feel like we need to be making examples of like, it's not that what you did was that wrong. It's just the fact that you got caught. If you're not betting on the NFL, I really don't see what the issue is. We're going to be sticklers about where they place the bet. So if they're outside, if they're 10 feet outside the practice facility, it's okay. But if they're inside the practice facility, it's not. It just feels like a line that the NFL doesn't have to draw. And they do this time and time again. And they always end up looking like idiots. Like the NBA is just always so ahead of this and like stops punishing players for smoking weed, gets behind their players on the Black Lives Matter movement. It just feels like the NFL waits for other leagues to start adapting and then finally is playing catch up. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, this is silly on the NFL's part. It's not, you know, if I were changing things about the NFL, this probably wouldn't be one of the first (laughs) ones just because they have so they have so many issues. I mean, the Ray Rice thing really jumped out to me. How could how Goodell could see that video and suspend the guy for two games? He didn't think any. He thought the video was just for him. <laughs> well, but he still saw it, right? And he thought this is the punishment I want to do because we care about Ray Rice or something. But I think what you said about the NBA is very true. I think part of it is a more conservative uh, crowd for the NFL and probably ownership as well. But I think a lot of it is just NBA is a player-driven league, right? I I don't know if there's the same natural viewership of NBA, and we kind of know that it's not when LeBron's not playing, when KD's not playing, right? Like when Steph's not playing. So those guys are going to be the ones that drive the money for everyone in the NBA, including the owners. So keeping them happy is important. Whereas NFL viewership is not nearly as tied to individual players, right? You know, when Justin Jefferson sits or plays, I, I, I can assure you that the Vikings, you know, viewership on a Sunday at one is extraordinarily similar, right? Yeah. Um, versus when, versus when you know, the equivalent NBA player is out. When Kevin Durant's out, less people are going to want to watch. So I think that that is where you see kind of the two reasons that are driving NBA being more with the times and and player driven versus the NFL, which is maybe more um, trying to appeal to their base and their base and their base hates gambling, hates the idea of players gambling at the team facility. Well, yeah, I mean, because if you look at the states that aren't that don't have legalized gambling, it's a lot of the South, and that's where football is kind of king, right? It's Georgia, it's Alabama, it's. Arkansas, South Carolina, Mississippi. I mean, all, like all these states don't have legalized gambling. And I think it's a probably due to religious reasons why that's the case. But there's a ton of overlap between the South and and football. I mean, plainly put. So yeah, I think that they're trying to appeal to it versus, you know, you don't see those states. All I'm trying to get at is like basketball is not king in those states and football is. And that's who each are trying to appeal to. Yeah, I mean, well said, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, it's, it's just funny to me that they're, the NFL is taking this stance. And I, I mean, coming off of the Calvin Ridley thing, it, like, I understood that. I thought that punishment was harsh, but I understood them taking a hard line on betting on the NFL. This doesn't feel like something that they need to take a hard line on. And it's not something where they're, they're seemingly like 
upstaged. Nobody knew about this. Nobody, it wasn't like embarrassing for them and their saving face by like being overly harsh with a player who had embarrassed them. This isn't like any of the many public scandals that have happened. No, I agree. Uh, I I think they're happy to do this. This is what they what they believe at their course. No, I, I actually agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's spin the next one. I rigged this one, so I know it's going to come up, but let's spin the wheel anyway. Give it a spin. All right, NBA playoffs. Uh, where do we want to start? Um, I guess let's... We're coming off of watching Steph Curry win in Sacramento, Jimmy Butler push off to beat oh the Bucks. And the Knicks are already happy and waiting to beat the Heat in the next round. Where do you want to start? I mean, how could you not start with Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat? First off, and, uh, and after last night, I was like, we are talking about this. Can you can you do me a favor and tell me about your viewing experience yeah, last night? Uh, so I was, I was out at a family member's birthday dinner. And that's, that's actually where I had lost service. So the Up 10 promo, I tweeted too late. But I think a lot of people took the heat probably beforehand because of my actions articles and stuff. And then I said, if not, the Kings are a good option. So luckily both won. But anyway, I get back late and my wife wanted to, to watch the game in bed. She had to be up early. So I had like headphones in and <laughs> somehow at the end of the third quarter of the heat game, it was like a 16 point game. Like I completely passed out and I wake up at four in the morning. Like people do when they, you know, accidentally fall asleep, or at least I do often when I accidentally fall asleep. And I've got my AirPods still in, and <laughs> I get up to like go brush my teeth and stuff, and I check my phone. First thing I see is the Heat won, and I absolutely could not believe it. Then the next thing I saw I was like, all right, let's see how the the boost did, because Steph wasn't looking good when I fell asleep. So I go and check those boost hit, and so I'm all excited. I like brush my teeth and stuff, and watch the highlights because I couldn't help myself of like the awesome activity in the games. Oh, and I was upset about uh, getting hooked on the Kings-Warriors game in, in, a, in a different bet. I literally could not fall asleep for three hours. Like, I was so excited by watching Jimmy's highlights and what happened in that game and, and then the Warriors-Kings. Like, I just thought the whole thing was awesome. But anyway, it took me literally three hours to fall back asleep. So I'm not quite running on fumes but uh, because I had passed out early, but a little bit. Although I have a lot of excitement and I want to talk about how awesome... Jimmy Butler is and how impressive the Miami Heat are. So the first thing I'll say is Jimmy's performance in the series, like just to give him his flowers, I think this might be the best playoff series like I've ever seen from an individual player. And it's hard to maybe compare to like some of, let's say like LeBron 2015 where Del Vidova was second best player and he averaged, what was it, like 36 and 13 or something. Um, and then maybe like the 2016, like when you look at like some of the LeBron like championship performances maybe it's hard to to compare but you have jimmy i don't know what he ended up averaging like 38 in this series beats milwaukee in five and by the way Giannis was 0-3 in games that he played so that wasn't really driving this he had 38 and 20 last night and all the clutch buckets the defense he was playing against i mean drew holiday Giannis, brooke lopez and he dominated all of them. He told them that he owned them a game-tying shot. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this over the span of an entire series against a one seed. The sixth ever eight beating a one. And the most recent one was 2012 when Derrick Rose got hurt to like kind of half 
doesn't really count. So it does. Giannis got hurt. This doesn't count. Well, Giannis was 0-3 in games that he played. Derrick Rose got hurt, I believe, with a lead in like game one or something. He was 0 and, he was 0 and 2 in games he but played. They were down by 15 when he got hurt in game one. 11, 11, 11 minutes in but game. They were one down by 13. Or uh, they were down like considerably when he went out. And 0 and, and then 0 and 2 in the other games that he played. Yeah, with a broken tailbone. So whatever, two and a half games. <laughs> If you want to split the difference, but regardless, Jimmy's performance was beyond insane. I, I actually looked at his ESPN rank before he got to the Heat, and I'll get to the Heat in a second. He was 21st in the ESPN rank. He wasn't even an All Star this year. Like when he got to Miami, he was just not considered what he's considered now, which in my mind is a top. I mean, he's been the best playoff performer over the last four years. Been better than LeBron. Better than KD. KD hasn't been to a Finals. Uh, Maybe Giannis, you could argue, he's probably been better than Tatum. He's definitely been better than Steph. Steph just has the one run, and you know Steph was great. But I think that Jimmy has a, a bigger body of work here and probably better, you know, numbers across the board, especially defensively. I'm not saying I would take him over all those guys, but nobody's been more impressive over the last four playoffs than Jimmy. And I think he deserves all the credit in the world. I think that he would, was not considered this coming. I mean, he had the fights in Minnesota, the fights in Chicago. A lot of people, I know I know that Philly didn't technically choose Tobias Harris over him, but a lot of Sixers fans and a lot of fans in general were, were kind of saying when he got, when he chose to go to Miami, good luck fighting for the eighth seed. And now Philly hasn't gotten to the conference finals. The Heat have been to the finals and, and he went toe to toe with LeBron. Goran and Bam got hurt. I mean, they probably still would have lost, but Jimmy went toe-to-toe with LeBron. I mean, his performances have been insane. Last last year, he was a shot away from the finals. So I just was so excited seeing that for him yesterday and, and how he's completely bec- you know gone from a problem child to a Hall of Famer in a couple of years. And... You know, I think he's a top 5'10 player in the league right now. Like, I don't know how you could possibly take more than a couple guys over him. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. I genuinely think that his 21 ranking in the regular season isn't that unwarranted. I think he might be around a top 20 player I agree. in the regular season. And then he enters the playoffs and he, he just has a, like, ability to know exactly what to do at the right moment. He doesn't dominate too much on ball and allows so much of his backdoor cuts, his play, everything he does, his team feels involved in. And he's just, he elevates himself to such a high level. The way, it's crazy how likable he is. Like coming out of Minnesota, he seemed, I mean, I, I loved how much of a dog he was and like how much he hated Cat's softness. But his public perception was not great coming out of Minnesota. <laughs> and it's just, he goes into the bubble. It's not He good. likes coffee, and all of a sudden, everybody loves him. Him and Rachel Nichols are sitting down having coffee in the bubble. Yeah, I was about to say Rachel Nichols. <laughs> and that's when it starts to turn. And since then, I, I think a good way to say what you're saying is his performance versus expectation. Like when LeBron does those things, in 2015, his games in 2016, I think everyone, there's a debate whether LeBron is the first or second best player to ever pick up a basketball. When he amazes us time and time again, it's expected. When Steph Curry hits ridiculous shots, it's expected. People, for some reason, continue to forget how amazing Jimmy is in the playoffs. 
So and when he's going up, when they're an eight seed and they're going up against a one seed, the expectation is not greatness. The expectation is really hard fought, a couple 40-point games maybe, and like a really valiant loss. And when that valiant effort turns into a win, it, it just continues to shock the world. Yeah, and you look at the team around them and, and you know, I'll give the Heat their flowers in a sec, but, like, most of that team is undrafted. Like, it is crazy what the Heat have done, really, in the post-LeBron years, because they didn't have first-round picks. They had to trade two of them for LeBron, uh, and then they had, then they, then they traded two for Goron uh, as soon as LeBron left. So they don't have, like, you know, you look at the Sixers, and they had, like, four top ten picks every year, it felt like, and they missed on all of them. You know, Nerlens Noel, Jaleel Okafor, Markel Fultz, they traded two for. Um, you know, you can go down the line. You can go earlier with, like, Evan Turner, Michael Carter-Williams, like, whatever, however far back you want to go. Embiid was also, obviously, a top three pick. So they've had pick after pick after pick, and that's kind of how it goes. I mean, they've obviously underperformed, but that's how it goes for a lot of teams where, you know, you're not expected to hit the number 14 pick in the draft. But the, t- the two times that they've had chances, they hit on Bam at 14 and Tyler and Hero at 14. Those are their only two guys with Jimmy, and they, they got Jimmy by trading Josh Richardson, who was a second-round pick that they hit on. Uh, so that like those are their guys, and Tyler's hurt. So the guys you have around Jimmy, and Bam fouled out, but the people in that overtime game that were on the court, Haywood Highsmith, undrafted, never even heard of him. Caleb Martin, sort of remember him in Nevada, but undrafted, basically never heard of him. Max Struess, only heard of him last year, undrafted. And then Kyle Lowry, who obviously we've heard of but and was drafted, but he's old and he's not very effective. Uh, oh, and wait, no. It was, was it Gabe Vincent who's never heard of him, undrafted on the court? I don't know if it was Lowry or, or Vincent. I'm trying to remember. So Vincent hit some big shots, but I do remember Lowry at the end of regulation. Anyway, point is, this whole team... They've is, got Duncan Robinson playing crutch time. Yeah, Duncan Robinson. Never heard... Well, I guess people like saw him in Michigan, but undrafted, right? And this is kind of what the Heat do, but it's also with Jimmy. I mean, it's also a credit to Jimmy because, you know, the, the Heat have developed and picked so well that they deserve credit in their culture. I mean, they, 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 they finished uh, the one season before Jimmy got there 30-11 and 11 down for the second half of the year with a team led by Dion Waiters, James Johnson, Hassan Whiteside, like literally guys who had done nothing, but, and Josh Richardson, guys who had done nothing before and nothing after. And, but still, somehow, with Eric Spolstra and that staff, they're a 500 team. So what they've done, I mean, really in the post-LeBron years, and obviously they won a championship before and stuff, and Pat made a nice pick with Wade, but uh, we don't need to get all the way back. Like, they have just been incredibly impressive, And but still, without Jimmy, what are they? An entire team of undrafted players that maybe play a little bit better than they should. So, I, I mean, I know you'll be pulling hard for the Knicks. I think that... It's two really good stories, the Knicks who have been completely irrelevant and then the Heat who have been like quietly, the, other than Boston, the class of the East. And that kind of includes Milwaukee, right? They've, they've won two of the three playoff series over them. But the Heat, who no one ever expects to do well, they, they didn't expect them to make the conference finals last year and they you know, arguably should have won it. They definitely didn't expect them to make the finals in 2020. And now here they are again being the sixth eight seed ever to be, I mean, a lineup of all these undrafted guys are going up against Drew Holiday, Giannis, Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis. I mean, these are big names. Giannis is considered, 
best player in the league. And Jimmy's just like, yeah, give me Bam and a couple of undrafted guys, and I'll beat him in five. Uh, it's amazing. It is amazing, and I don't want to take anything away from Jimmy, but it is sad to see after such a well-fought series, after how well they played, that they're not even going to get out of the second round when they meet them boys in New York. Jalen Brunson. They might not. I mean, and Josh Hart. And, I mean, no Julius Randle. Toppin steps up. It's just them boys from New York are no joke. They're favored. It's gonna, I mean, the Garden's going to be crazy. I'm, 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 I mean, you know, I, I live in, in New York, obviously, and uh, I've been to – some Knicks games. Will you be going to any of these games? I don't know. It's it's expensive, man. <laughs> I mean, just getting into the building is going to cost a fortune. It, it, they are expensive, but our friend Nick Wright likes to say that every sporting event you want to go to can be free as long as you pick the right team to win. Uh, that's that's really good. Um, <laughs> really good habits. Or it could cost double. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I think I think that series is gonna be fun. New York's like buzzing right now, and I think it's two good stories. Whoever gets out, it'll be sort of a good for basketball type deal. And then you know, Boston's championship odds have moved all the way down to plus one sixty five. So it's uh, the the there's likely a juggernaut waiting for them unless the Sixers can uh, can you know knock them out and pull off the upset. Yeah, this might be our first uh, our first wager on the podcast. If you I'll I'll wait till will they have played game one by next week? Yes, right? Yeah, it's probably like Saturday, right? Yeah, we may have to figure this out off air, but if you if you want to have our first wager on the pod, you can tweet it out so people know. But whatever you want, I'll take the Nick I think Nick's I've saw it minus one forty. Yeah. I saw plus one twenty minus one forty. Um I will take I'll take plus one thirty for fun. All right. You know, root for the heat here. I like it. All right. Beautiful. That's it for the Wheel of Sports. We will be right back after this quick break with our big thought of the day. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Draft a fantasy team against your friends for tonight's or tomorrow's games to win cash prizes. Or try out their pick'em game where you can predict player stat projections for a chance to win big. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy to use and it's even easier to just start playing. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PGP, the Promo Guy Podcast, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PGP. Welcome back in. Nick, my big thought of the day, we are going to be talking about Books and limiting. So a lot of this is coming off of, well, we talk about it a lot, frankly, like in all the space and stuff. It's what people kind of always want to talk about. But I would say that DraftKings in particular, I'll give them a negative shout out. Uh, Ever since that article came out about how they were going to be sharper with their limits, like they're going to be more able to identify winners and sharp betters and limit them. Uh, It's definitely... become more frequent. It's kind of on my Twitter timeline a lot. Oh, I got limited after a week. I got limited after one big bet. I got limited after this and that. Certainly has increased chatter, especially related to DraftKings. And I thought it would be a good time to just talk about limits in general, my thoughts on them. I've always sort of struggled to have clear thoughts on them and I still struggle with it. Because on the one hand, in order for books to profit, and frankly, in, in this world and to overcome their taxes and all this stuff, it is 
almost necessary for them to impose some form of limits. If you have somebody that's going after glitches and arbing, you're going like they are going to target you because it's pretty hard for them to sort of offer all of these markets that they do and accept all of these winning betters. So they limit. But I kind of think about it from my seat, you know, when I was a trader of what did we do with toxic customers? And we, we kind of did it a little differently where how we treated it on the trading floor and how I usually pushed for it was usually just showing wider prices. So we, we had the ability to, to show, and I'll put this back into betting terms, like minus 115 each side to certain clients as opposed to minus 110 each side. But we would never say you can't trade with us. Maybe not never, but it'd have to be really egregious for us to say that. A lot of people say, oh, I, I just wish that we lived in a world with no limits, but it really looks like Circa. Circa is very loud on Twitter about how they, they run things the right way. They have no limits. They have high maxes. But that's not what betters want because Circa only has 1% market share in Iowa where they operate in the US and where we have the data on it. So only 1% market share, they get killed by all the other books in Iowa. And the reason for that is they have no sign-up bonuses, they have no promotions, they have no props. I mean, not zero props, but essentially zero props. They offer very few markets, but they do have extraordinarily high limits and they don't limit individual customers on essentially spreads and totals and some futures. But like I said, that's not sports betting as we know it. That's not what the US better wants or they would be doing much better. And ultimately, I think that DraftKings is hurting themselves and you know MGM and some of these other books that do it as well, but DraftKings had the article and they're the most prominent figure of this, hurting themselves and only gonna lose more market share to FanDuel and Caesars if they, I'll say over limit. And what I mean by that is when you limit too much, even if you are cutting out only profitable customers, which is debatable or unlikely I'll say, you still lose a lot of the positive publicity that happens when people sign up for your book, even if they are slightly profitable customers. And what I mean by that is they're not going to use your DFS. They're not going to use your casino. All of the things that go into being DraftKings isn't just about profitability of customers on their app. You want, you know, each customer, let's say they make a little bit of money, but they are telling their friends to sign up. They're showing off how cool they are being able to make money. They are, you know, they're in the DraftKings store. They're playing DFS. They're doing the casino. They, it's just more important than oh, we're not making money off of you, so get out. Now, if somebody's glitch hunting and making very large amounts of money, like I understand curbing them, maybe not fully the way DraftKings does. I, again, I do like the way FanDuel does it, but I think that it is important for DraftKings to recognize that there's more to this than the profitability of each customer in sports betting and that limits really hurt them gaining market share. And there's a reason, again, why FanDuel has 50% market share in the US and they don't feel the need to limit people the way DraftKings does, they'll, instead of having your max bet be a thousand, they'll have it be 500 on a given market because you're partially limited. And I think that most people are happy with that. They can still get their $50 down on the boosts and all that. And you can still play on FanDuel. You can still be on the app. Hell, I like to look at the game tracker instead of the ESPN game tracker from my phone on FanDuel because I think it's better. Like I'm on the app a lot. Ultimately, I think there's going to have to be in order for DraftKings and others to sustain themselves in this business, there has to be some form of limiting, but I don't think mass limiting, not that it's gone that extreme, but it seems like they want to head that way for some reason. But I don't think mass limiting and fully limiting people is the answer. They're gonna have to find some ways around it. And obviously, currently there's nothing that's in place where DraftKings can say, 
to such and such customer, oh, we're offering you minus 115 each way. I think FanDuel has it right in that they're just partially limited. They're not limited to $3 on a bed or whatever it is that some people are limited to. FanDuel and Caesars deserve credit. They, they limit much less than other books. And I think DraftKings will continue to lose market share if they, they continue to limit more and more. But that doesn't mean we need to live in a world without limits because I don't think people like that world. It looks like you can't bet on all the stuff that you bet on every day. I never thought I'd see the day where you're advocating for the books, um, helping them stay protected and not wanting them to take the risk. Well, I mean, I've been in their shoes. Your logic is your logic makes complete sense. I just never thought I'd see yeah, that. Well, some, you know, when I'm harsh on them, it's because I've been in their shoes and I, some of the stuff that they do is honestly kind of bush league and ridiculous. But that doesn't mean I just blindly hate them. I want sustainability in this space where uh, we can kind of, we can all kind of coexist um, and you know enjoy sports betting as a as a community. And some people will be profitable, some people won't, but they can continue to have promos and props and do what they enjoy uh, as opposed to sort of moving to this circus style. And I don't mean to bash them. I think that they have their own niche niche in the space niche in the space and that you know they fill it well where if you want to put a ton of money on money line spreads totals whatever you can do it but again they have one percent market share in iowa like that is just almost proven not what people want they'd rather bet props and specials and promos and all this stuff and all of that would go away if they couldn't do some form of limiting at least in my opinion um but anyway i think that's it for thought. i just wanted to add one thing which is that it's kind of an update on the points bet situation. The gaming commission, multiple, I saw Illinois and I forget the other state, maybe Michigan, where they sided with points bet. That was very disappointing uh, on the Tyus Jones issue. And honestly, it says a lot about what the gaming commission is, is at in the US right now, or at least in those states. But uh, anyway, let's go to break. Welcome back in from break and just wondering, TPG, what's got you so fired up this week? You know what really grinds my gears? Yeah, well, what grinds my gears this week is FanDuel dropping Dinger Tuesday in Canada. I don't have a ton to say about it, but it's really frustrating when sportsbooks sort of target specific states, specific, I guess, countries in this case, uh, and leave them out of widely run promos. People in Canada were enjoying Dinger Tuesday. You couldn't have been losing that much money. I know that there was a site credit thing instead of free bets, but I hope this was a one week thing because honestly, I feel for our, our friends up north where you know you, you get Dinger Tuesday, it's, it's back, you're all excited, then it's limited, okay, fine, you accept it, and then it's nothing this week. I think that's unfair. I think FanDuel should bring it back um, in Canada, it should be available everywhere if you're going to run it. And similar grinds my gears to like last year when Michigan and Pennsylvania were getting left out of DraftKings promos. Like, uh, you know, I'm big on telling people, hey, don't worry about what your neighbor has. Like, just be happy with the promos you have. But when every single person that you know, every single state has a promo except for yours, it can make you feel pretty shitty. And I don't like it when people feel shitty. It grinds my gears. So 
that's all I've got for the uh, the segment here. Vandal, please bring Dinger Tuesday back to Canada. I'd love to hear you arguing for the Canucks. <laughs> uh, justice for Canada. Uh, let's keep it moving. This week, we aren't breaking the myths around gambling. Rather, around one of TPG's favorite players. TPG, the stage is yours. So, Russell Westbrook has had a long and controversial career. I don't know where he'll be at next or if we'll see any form of or glimpses of prime Russ again. I thought it was really cool to see him have such a great series against the Suns, especially a three-game span where he was averaging like 31 points on 54% shooting, whatever it was. Like He was tremendous and looked like the old Russ. And I kind of wanted to give him his flowers because I feel like he has constantly been hated on throughout his careers in the Oklahoma City days. There's a lot of myths around him that, you know, he can't be a winning player. And maybe at this stage of his career, um, some of the criticisms are more fair. But I wanted to use some advanced stats. I didn't want to talk about triple-double because a lot of people think that that's all he's got to it. And frankly, the 10 rebound and 10 assist cutoff is kind of arbitrary. But a lot of people have this idea, this notion that Russell Westbrook is like I said, not a winning player, but also that advanced stats wouldn't like him because his field goal percentage is, a you know, it's 44% instead of 48%, and from three, it's like 30 or 31% instead of, you know, 34 or 35, which those percentages are true. He's obviously not a good shooter, um, although he was a very good free throw shooter for the majority of his career. It's sort of tailed off until randomly this Clippers series, but I am going to pull up some advanced stats on Russell Westbrook that maybe will change your mind and debunk the myth that he wasn't a winning player. And then I want to get into some of the stories around, you know, what happened throughout his career. So first, he was top 15 in Pi in the NBA, which is player impact estimate from 2012 to 2018. Three times he was in the top five and once he was number one. I assume that was 2016 when he won the MVP. For 10 years, starting in 2012, and that's really when his True prime started 2012, so a lot of these will start then. He was top 20 in the NBA every single year in real plus minus. Four times he was top five in win shares. He was four times top five in VORP, uh, value over replacement player. He, the Thunder from 2014-2018 averaged 22.6 more expected wins per season with him on the court. And they averaged in that time 9.8 more points per 100 possessions with him on the court. Their overall record was 634 and 460, so they were excellent. People knew that. He was twice top five in deflections, three times top two in offensive loose balls recovered. I can't even believe that's a stat. But anyway, all of this is to say that advanced stats really were really high on Prime Russ, as they should have been. I feel like a lot of his percentages might be lower, but the amount of extra possessions he gets you from these loose balls, from offensive or defensive rebounds that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, and that was very much on display in uh, the Clippers' win in, I think it was game one of this series, you know, overcomes a couple extra turnovers and a couple of possessions that might be lost from a missed shot or a turnover, especially especially in his prime when a lot of his missed shots turned into the Thunder were the number one offensive rebounding team in the league, like almost every year, uh, I believe, because he would drive to the hoop, draw the defense, miss a contested layup, and Steven Adams would be there to tip it in or Baco or whoever it was. So I felt like a lot of his misses were still plus plays, even though it just shows up as 0 for 1 because it was leading to points for the Thunder. Now, the team success, a lot of people say, oh, he played with Kevin Durant, James Harden, 
uh, Bradley Beal, Paul George, now Kawhi, now LeBron. I mean, he's, he's, start, he's starting to like rack him up late in his career. Um, but, you know, he played with all these guys and, and, and never won the big one. But I think that that's obviously an unfair sort of myth. One, he wasn't playing with them at the same time except for when Harden was very young. So he played with KD and Harden together when, when Harden was young. And frankly, they all were. But in 2012, they made the finals. He was, and people criticized him for taking more shots or the same amount of shots as Kevin Durant. But I think we've seen post him leaving Russ, he doesn't want to shoot more shots than he was shooting in Oklahoma City for sure. Um, you know, Devin Booker's carrying most of the load uh, in Phoenix right now. And, you know, and he was in Golden State, he wasn't taking a ton of shots. So, and in Brooklyn, you know, he often like, Kyrie do the thing and, and James Harden. So he's never been in a spot post where he was like taking more shots. But anyway, they get to the finals. They beat, I could be wrong this, but they beat the defending champ Mavericks on the way. Um, Kobe and, and the Lakers were in the, the West at that time. Uh, they played the Spurs in that time. It was the peak of the West in those years. They beat them all, get to the finals. It's 1-1 against the Heat. And Russ has, in you know, pivotal, I don't remember if it was game three or four, but you know, you, you need to split in Miami to get the home court back. He goes off for 43 points, 63% shooting. James Harden was utterly terrible, and Kevin Durant wasn't able to pick up the slack. So I, th I think Russ had 43 of, like, their 90-something points. They lose to the Heat in a close game. Certainly wasn't his fault. And they go on to lose the series. So, you know, he did come up in, in some of the biggest games. Then the next year, so... KD was there through 2016. Two of them got lost due to injury, one by Russ, one by KD. 2016, uh, they go up 3-1 after they'd beaten the Spurs. They go up 3-1 on the 73 win, incredible Warriors. Really should have won that. Klay Thompson has an out-of-body experience game six to sort of rip the series from them and really costing Russ his next best chance at, at a championship. KD then leaves. Russ's MVP, terrific, leads a team with nobody on it. I mean, those Oklahoma City teams weren't that good once Harden left around Russ and KD. It was Andre Roberson, Steven Adams, uh, Ibaka fell off like the minute they traded Harden away. And they didn't have like what Brooklyn had when you swapped Kyrie and Russ and you had prime Kyrie, prime Harden, prime KD, surrounded by Joe Harris, LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, Blake Griffin. I mean, that, that Brooklyn team was loaded. OKC wasn't built quite like that, but they still had all this um, success. Come on, we're not saying we're not saying Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin on the Nets made them loaded. I mean, they were much deeper than Oklahoma City was. Who was on those Oklahoma City teams off the bench? I'm saying loaded in terms of like that's a that's a you can have three prime. I mean, everybody likes to imagine what would have happened if the the baby Thunder grew up and and they never traded Harden. Well, you got to see it with. Kyrie, one of Russ's contemporaries, that most people think Kyrie was better than Russ in their primes, but Kyrie had every chance with Harden and, and KD, and then even losing Harden. But that was a much more complete team roster around, and obviously there were weird circumstances with them. Yeah, fair enough. Fair Kyrie enough. had no more success with KD when it was the two of them and more around them than like, come on, Andre Roberson. So then KD leaves. They still win 47 games. Then Paul George comes. I think they were the three seed. Uh, people also blame Russ for that situation, even because I guess Paul George was considered a better playoff performer at the time. But when Donovan Mitchell knocked him out, Russ had 46 points in the game design game, and Paul George was two for 16 with five points. Right, and then we could go on. He sort of leaves his prime. 
after that point, I mean, you could say it was impressive that he led the Wizards to the playoffs, but nobody really cares about that. So ultimately, I just wanted to debunk the myth that, like, Russ was not a winning player. His teams always had a ton of success, and he was the high-usage guy on, on them. We never saw any of the guys that he paired with do better without him. I mean, Paul George goes and joins Kawhi and has less success or the same amount of success over there. Uh, Harden, you know, joins Embiid or, you know, joins KD and Kyrie. And, like, none of these people had more success without him than they ever had with him, unless you want to count KD going to the 73-win Warriors. Okay, fine. <laughs> right? Like, that is that is the, oh, KD won the argument, except for those guys were making the finals without him. And uh, anyway, that's all I got to say on Russ. I, I hope I debunked a few myths and that the advanced metrics uh, were maybe different than how they looked to a lot of Russ's haters out there. Yeah, I feel like I'm fully on the same page as you. I think Russ got a bit of a bad shake in L.A. And just it's tough at that point in his career and that point of LeBron's career. They're really there's the same guy like their their biggest skills were getting downhill and making plays for others. And when they were off ball, they both had to have and still have the tendency to kind of just if they go downhill and they create they're as active as can be off ball. It's not the same LeBron that you had in Miami that let Dwayne Wade get downhill, create, and then LeBron comes in second wave and gets these flying rim attacks. When LeBron's off ball, he's resting. Yeah, I agree. It was a bad fit. But, I mean, Russ is not what he was. I think he kind of turned back the clock there for a few games. But, you know, in, in today's NBA, everybody sort of ages a bit better. So, so the expectations are different. But a 33-year-old primarily relying on athleticism point guard whose shot got worse. It's just not the same guy that he was in his prime. And I think a lot of people sort of forget what he looked like and, you know, the impact he had on winning at the time. And he could still muster it up for a game or two. But it was it was probably a bad mental situation for us. It was a bad, you know, LeBron and AD were hurt. And you can even argue that, you know, obviously the, the Lakers got better with, you know, adding a ton of pieces. But... After the 2-10 and ten start, they were an above 500 team, and most of their easy games were at the end. So they were still one of the better teams with Russ around. Uh, I, I don't think he was hurting them, per se. I just think that he wasn't helping them that much because, look, his free throw percentage is like 15% to 20% off of where it was in his prime. Like A lot of that's mental, but a lot of that, that really hurts when you're an athletic guy. Um, one thing, this is sort of just a random thought, and then we'll, we'll cut out that I kind of wanted to talk about the NBA playoffs that stood out to me, and I, I just remembered it because of the free throw stat, is that uh, I think that the whistle in the NBA right now is kind of ridiculous in the sense that, like, the regular season, you have a ton of fouls and guys who get rewarded for flops or, you know, kind of ticky-tack calls and swipe through, stuff like that, that aren't getting rewarded in the playoffs. Like, my biggest thing watching the playoffs, I'm like, where, are all the, where have all the fouls gone? And I'm not saying that they should be calling more fouls, but I do think it's very difficult for an NBA player. Like, you think about Luka, he's got a guy on his back, and he knows that if he just, like, stops short and leans into the guy, he'll get a foul call, but now he's not getting in the playoffs. It's really hard to adjust, and I think it's kind of, like, who is benefiting from all these lame fouls in the regular season? Because it's hard for the players to move. It's, it's a different sport, I feel like, I'm watching. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but... It's like one thing that's really jumped out with the NBA playoffs of all the fouls have gone away. And 
I'm trying to figure out the purpose of calling them in the regular season if you're not going to call them in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I once again agree. I think that the re- the officiating's been great. I like, I mean, especially in the Cavs Knicks series, just watching that really old school grinded out basketball. Like, I enjoy a lot of the no calls and like let them play. I think the officiating in the Warriors series has been great. Um, they're really just letting them play. The Lakers series has been really good as well. I think a lot of times LeBron goes yeah. downhill expecting to get uh, bailed out by some of these calls, and they're really letting them play. Um, so I, I'm I'm on the same page. Yeah, but if he got bailed out in the regular season, it's it's like yeah, it's like almost unfair. Like he should play. He should expect that he he should attack the rim. Expecting the yeah. So just stop calling them the regular season, so guys don't have these sort of like unfair playing disadvantages of, of they've been playing a certain way for 82 games or more realistically like 60 for all these guys, but playing a certain way. And then they have to completely change the way they play because they're not getting the same calls. And I think you sort of saw it with Giannis a little bit being slightly more hesitant to attack the, the hoop. I mean, you've seen it in like a couple of instances where guys are like, I don't know what to do with myself. And obviously Giannis was also 10 of 23 and got a ton of calls. But part of that was just the Heat wanting to send him to the line. But I, I think that the regular season needs to change where you're not getting these calls. I mean, I think Harden struggled with that for years where you have this big disparity and he plays a certain way, sort of baiting calls, and then he doesn't get them. And people are like, oh, he's disappearing in the playoffs. Well, he's actually doing the same exact thing. It's just he gets calls in the regular season and he doesn't get calls in the playoffs. But anyway, that was just sort of a final random thought. Um, Thank you so much uh, for listening in. Thank you to our sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. And please stay tuned uh, for the Promo Guy podcast next week. Rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you then. See you next week.